And today we're going to be talking about our stewardship, our stewardship. And then next week, it'll be first things first, our service. So let's talk about stewardship just for a moment. I want to ask a question. There's a plaque on my desk, and on that plaque, it says this, every day is a gift from God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every single day is a gift from God? Do you agree with that statement? You know, when you woke up this morning, did you have to tell your heart to beat? Did you have to tell your lungs to breathe? Did you have to inform your brain to begin thinking? No, in fact, those involuntary functions are in fact a gift from God. And when you made your way to the kitchen this morning and you turned on your coffee maker or your Keurig or whatever it is that you have, and uh, you looked at that Keurig and you said to yourself, that's my Keurig. But I asked the question, who gave you the ability to earn the money to go buy that Keurig? Would it not be God? Is not God the source of all good gifts? In fact, uh, many of you may say, well, I walked into the store the other day and I bought that coffee maker and uh, I was able to buy it on my good looks. Did it, it, has anybody ever bought anything from a store and just... It, Hey, based on my good, like, I know John Acker thinks he's good looking, you know. And so can you imagine John going into the store and going, listen, I'm John Acker, okay. And they go, oh, here's a coffee maker. <laughs> or if you're, you know, or if you're a nice guy, you know, you're, you're a super nice guy. My best friend Jamie Lloyd's a really nice guy. But Jamie's never gotten anything free because he was a nice guy. You have to pay for it. You have to have money to do so. But our mindset should always be like it is for the psalmist. Psalm 24 begins with these words, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Let that sink in for a minute this morning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all begins with him. Our ability to earn money is a gift from God. And the premise of stewardship is that God owns it all. And therefore, returning a portion of what he has already blessed us with is part of being a good steward for God. Now, let me just settle two myths uh, that are out there. Number one, that rich people can't go to heaven. That is, that is a myth. Jesus never condemned the legitimate attainment of wealth. And in fact, the Bible's replete with characters who were very righteous, who walked with the Lord, who had some means. If you think about it, Abraham was very wealthy. So was Solomon. Some say that he was the wealthiest man to have ever lived. And I, I guarantee you, Job was not on a food stamp program, you see. And so we see that there are wealthy people. No, it's not about having wealth. It's how you spend it, how you use it that is most important. And so I invite you this morning to turn open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. And let me just say a few words about this before we stand up and read it. You know, if, if I were to 
come cold here today and walk right into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount without any context, we would miss truly the meaning behind this passage we're about to read. And so let me build the context. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus Christ from Abraham and from David. It is telling us that the Messiah had come from those lines. Chapter 2 is his birth narrative and the Magi visit. And then chapter 3 is his baptism. Jesus was baptized. And of course, we see the Trinity in action and at his baptism as the Father speaks from heaven. This is my son whom I love and am well pleased. Listen to him. And then, of course, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. We see the Trinity in his baptism. And it's also a picture for us, an example for us when we get baptized as believers in Christ that we are to enter the waters of baptism as our Lord did. And then chapter 4 of Matthew is, of course, the Spirit leading him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days, he was then ministered to by the angels, and then he went on his public ministry. And in the end of chapter 4, it says that Jesus went about all the towns around Galilee doing three things. Number one, teaching in the synagogues where the Jewish people would congregate. Two, preaching the good news of the kingdom to those in those towns. And then number three, healing all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. And so, of course, you would imagine when Jesus is healing and he's preaching with great authority and he is teaching in the synagogues that crowds would assemble around him. And it says here in chapter 5, at the very beginning of chapter 5, that Jesus then removed himself from all of the crowds and he went up onto a mountain. And the purpose for him going up onto that mountain was to take his earliest followers, the called disciples, up to that mountain to share with them what his kingdom is all about. He is really establishing an upside-down kingdom, something that's radically different and, frankly, 180 degrees opposite of the earthly kingdoms that his disciples would have known. Power was not something that was wielded. It was something that was used in service. Jesus turned everything upside down. And so for the next three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus Christ himself stood, sat on that mountain and he taught the crowds as they came up to him. If you look at this uh, three chapters, you could see here that there are three R's that Jesus addresses. First, the rules or the regulations that they thought they knew based on Old Testament law. The second is relationships. Relationships with the Father and also the relationships with your fellow man. And then the third R is, of course, resources. The resources that we have available to us and how we are to be good stewards of as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. And so, really, the Sermon on the Mount is about rules. Jesus is establishing the real law. And then, secondly, the relationships that we should engender and that we should build and then finally, the resources and how we are to be good stewards of them. And so that brings us to our passage today, chapter 6 of Matthew. Please stand for the reading of God's Word, if you are able. I'm going to begin in verse 19. 
And it says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then here's our memory verse for today. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Father, this is your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that Jesus felt... um, compelled to share this truth with us about our stewardship principles and how we are to glorify you with all that we do with our money and our time. Father, help us as we employ this practically in our daily living that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as I think about this particular passage I am struck by the three contrasts that you see here in the three paragraphs in my particular uh, Bible. They may be in parenthetical uh, format for you as well, but there is a, a contrast that Jesus is drawing in each of those three paragraphs. The first is between the treasures on earth and the treasures in heaven. The second is the healthy eye versus the unhealthy eye. And then the third is the master of God or the master of money. And so Jesus is drawing this out. I will share with you that the middle paragraph, initially when I read it, I thought, hmm, I'm wondering why this is there. But a little study of the Greek words that are used in this particular paragraph will help enlighten us as to why Jesus spoke it. And so we want to look at our stewardship. First, we have to have the right materials. There's really four ways or four decisions we must make relative to our stewardship. The first is the right materials. Notice Jesus here is talking about physical materials where moths can eat through the clothes that Jesus wore back in that day were susceptible to moth destruction. But there's also these vermins that can come in and destroy them, that eat away at the cloth. It's interesting, I don't know if you were here or not, but several years ago, uh, a whole group of us went up into the youth department, the third floor behind this sanctuary, and we decided to clean it out. And I will tell you, uh, raise your hand if you were here for that. Okay, several of you, okay, fantastic. It, It made an indelible mark on my Uh, life uh, that day because there were, I think, 29 couches that we shoved out of a window into a big dumpster. But you know, a further uh, look at those couches, I I remember Harry, who's up on the camera over here, he had this sawzall and he was just going to town, tearing these couches apart. But let me share with you, as he did so, There were rat droppings all in the cushions of these couches. 
and I was aghast. Can I share with you now, we are rat free. <laughs> Amen and hallelujah, praise God, okay? But let me tell you, those couches had been sitting up there for years and there were food and everything and all these rats got in there and just tore them to pieces. Now, obviously, none of us is going to be able to carry one of those couches into heaven with us and say, here's my gift, God. No, he will not accept that kind of gift. Secondly, there are thieves who can break in and steal. How many of you have been the victim of a, what we call a porch pirate. How many of you have ever had somebody stolen off your front porch? Believe it or not, I read an article not too long ago where up in Canada, somebody had stolen some goods off of somebody's porch. That person who owned that house had a doorbell that showed a camera of that person. They posted the video of that person stealing their gift online, on social media, and then the government of Canada came in and said, you can't do that. You may be violating the privacy rights of the pirate who stole your stuff. Is this madness or what? It is complete madness. But many of us realize that things that we have on earth get stolen. And that's what Jesus was referring to. No, he wants us not to store up physical materials, but spiritual ones, because they are eternal and incorruptible. You know, we just sang that hymn, that song, and it really is a reference to 1 Peter, uh, Jesus, our hope in life and death. Uh, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus has given us new birth into a living hope into a living hope, and then it goes on to say, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's a pretty stark contrast to everything that we think about collecting stuff. It says this, if anyone builds on this foundation, that being Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. And then it says this, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. No, we are to store up. The word store up there in the Greek is theraodzo. Theraodzo. It's where we get the word thesaurus from. It's where you store up a set of terms, uh, synonyms and antonyms. But this, he is saying, collecting things that are there. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have bought things um, for your home and then many years later sold them in a yard sale or a garage sale. How many of you have ever done that? Okay. Now, how many of you, when you put that item out for sale at your garage sale, sold it for exactly the same price as you paid for it? With interest. Did anybody? No, exactly not. No, that's why you have people go to these places because one man's trash is another man's treasure, you see. And so we recognize that we collect stuff. 
And Jesus says for us to treasure the most important things. So what are these spiritual materials that we are to store up? Well, first of all, I like to think of the Christian life as a three-legged stool. The first leg is our worship. Our worship. Not only our corporate worship like this morning, but also our personal worship. When you wake up and you look out the window and you see God's creation, do you worship him? When you're out on the lake, on a boat, uh, water skiing, or if you're up on a mountain skiing, or if you're going for a hike through the woods and you see the beautiful creation of God, do you worship him? I believe that you are storing up treasures in heaven when you worship Almighty God, the one who created all of these things for our enjoyment. Number two leg on our stool is our work, the work that we do, the work of Bible study, the work of prayer, the work of showing mercy to a friend, the work of doing things for the church, working in a, a team, serving in whatever capacity, no matter how public or how private it is, are you working for the kingdom? Are you doing kingdom-related work? I believe that when you do that, you are storing up treasures in heaven. And I believe that the third leg of the stool is our witness. How we relate to the people out there, the people that don't know what the kingdom is. They don't know the king. They want to meet Jesus. They don't understand who he is. They may have some misconceptions about the church. And our job is to help people know that Jesus is love. He loves them unconditionally. There's nothing they have ever done that can make them not savable by Jesus. He's too powerful for that. But our witness, our ability to share a good word when given the opportunity about our faith in Christ, I believe that our witness is also storing up treasures in heaven. How about the fruit of the Spirit? Have you ever thought about that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When you exercise patience, when you exercise self-control, when you are a person of mercy, when you are establishing a love relationship with another person, what are you doing? You're storing up treasures in heaven. You see, but it comes down to our money, too. You realize that the church doesn't operate without money. We have to operate that way in order to get the gospel out. We want to do what Jesus did. Jesus preached and taught, and that's what we are to do, to preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, and to teach the gospel. So tithes and offerings is nothing new. Uh, Marcus read it this morning. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse, God would say. Well, offerings began way before then. You think about Abel and Cain bringing an offering before the Lord. This was them giving an offering to the Lord. We see it in Genesis chapter 4. So offerings started very early in Abraham's life when he was approached by Melchizedek, a high priest, the prince of Salem, himself, Melchizedek. What did Abraham do? He gave him a tenth of everything. That's really what a tithe is. It is a tenth. So whatever you make, you give a tenth of it back to the Lord. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus really... Uh, homed in on the Pharisees' hearts, and he said, your hearts are far from God. You're not showing mercy. You're not showing grace. Yes, you give a tithe of all that you have, but do that, 
and extend the grace and the love and the mercy to your neighbor, and then you will be righteous in God's eyes. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart this morning? You know, Adrian Rogers uh, said it this way, a faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. We talked about that this morning as we kind of honored our Sunday school class teachers this morning with a breakfast. I said, listen, you know, we've got to get our students not just to have head knowledge about the Word of God. It's got to go 12 inches south to the heart. And when it goes to the heart, then it changes the way we view our world. It changes the way we view others. And then, of course, it's got to go all the way to the feet because then it makes us move for the kingdom. So first and foremost, we must store up the right materials. Secondly, we must store up what we must have the right motives. Look at verses 22 and 23. Verses 22 and 23 say this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, I read this and I thought to myself, how does this apply to money? And he's building this image, this idea that the eye is truly the lamp to the body or it is the window to the soul, as Shakespeare would say. But if you look at the Greek word here for healthy and unhealthy, it helps you understand what Jesus is getting at. The word healthy here really implies a generosity of heart. A generosity. Are you generous? Are you the kind of person who will immediately want to help somebody else out by giving of your means to help them in their lack of means? That's really what he's referring to. If your eyes have a healthy view of the world around you, if you see someone in need, are you intent on trying to help meet that need or will you turn a blind eye to it? No, the unhealthy is in the Greek, it really implies being stingy being like a miser, trying to hoard it all to yourself. You know, we teach our children to share. We teach them that that is the right approach to share that which we have with others. We have to teach them that because they're born in the unsaved seed of Adam. That is the sin nature. You know, Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 12, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, all of us have so many things that we have in our house that we purchased. And we wonder after a couple of years if we got the use out of them that we wanted to. And you know, we live in a culture now where buying is so much easier than it used to be. You used to have to actually get dressed you actually used to have to get out and leave your house and get in your car or call a taxi and come pick you up and take you to a store where you then had to rummage through racks and racks and racks of items in order to find that which you wanted. But now, no, the powers to be, the ones who are listening to you and me, they're going to put it on your phone before you wake up the next morning. Let me share with you a story. I'm not kidding you. This is true. I was in, uh, April Dillon is our finance person. I was in her office, 
And I was telling her about, you know, I'm trying to decorate my office, trying to make it a little bit more pastoral, make it a little bit more homey, right? Put some pictures on the wall, maybe a rug, right? And I have a, a rug and some pictures, and I wanted to get a ficus tree. No, no office is complete without a ficus tree, correct? And so I said to her, I'm looking for a ficus tree. And I was telling her, I was saying, how tall should my ficus tree be? My, I think my ceilings are about 10 feet high. Uh, should an eight-foot ficus tree, would that do? And she was like, you yeah, know, that's a good size ficus tree. Well, anyway, she tells me the next morning. We, we depart. We go home. The next morning, she comes to me. She goes, Randy, you're not going to believe this. She goes, last night, I was online on social media, and every banner ad was about ficus trees. <laughs> on her phone. They're listening to us, people. They are. They're listening to this right now. Read the transcript, I say. But the bottom line is this, is that we have it all right there. How many of you have ever done an impulse buy? If you didn't raise your hand in your heart, you are a liar. And we're going to talk about that next week. We've all done it. We've all bought things that we did not need. You see, Jesus' word teaches us we have to have eyes to see what we need and eyes to see what we want and make a big distinction between the two. But you see, humans tend to desire more and more stuff. That's how we are. We build up our stuff. We have an insatiable drive to be successful. My son, he's really successful in his job, but he keeps saying, Dad, when I get to this salary level, then I will have arrived. He said that four times in a row. Every single time we think we're going to get to that place where we will be content. But you see, the sins that start with the eyes are greed, lust, covetousness, jealousy, and envy. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning I'm here to share with you God's Word. God's Word says that comparison is the thief of contentment. Comparison is the thief of contentment, and it will rob you of all joy. Please don't compare yourselves. You young people, don't compare yourselves on social media with others. That will rob you of the joy that God has for you. Well, not only are we to have the right materials and the right motive, but now we must follow the right master. We must follow the right master. And I'm convinced that in verse 24 here, Jesus is making it very clear. He's saying no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. What he did not say is he did not say you should not serve two masters, implying priority. He did not say that. And he also did not say you must not serve both God and money, as in morality. What he is saying is you cannot serve both God and money, as in it's impossible to do so. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this, does money control us or do we control our money? 
The bottom line is, is that you are either a person who sees money as a tool, as a resource for you to use for His glory, or that money is your master and it is controlling every waking moment of your life. And money is not inherently bad, but it can lead to very bad choices in your life. Solomon said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And Jesus said this, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Paul said, for the love of money. This is one of the most misquoted verses in Scripture, by the way, in 1 Timothy. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice, money is not a root of all kinds of evil. The love of it is. If it becomes your master, it is a root of all kinds of evil. Greed, lust, covetousness, jealousy, and envy. But then he goes on to say this, and most of us don't look at this next verse, but it's very powerful. He said, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Interesting that Paul here is talking about how powerful our love for money can be such that it will draw us away from the very one who provides it. It's fascinating to me. Now picture yourself standing on a street with me and Jesus. And think about this for a minute. Jesus is looking over here to this side of the street. And he says, now this is something you want to invest in. You realize that this over here, this building is secure. Their performance as a company is impeccable. They've never lost one single dime, and every dollar has been multiplied a hundredfold. This is a good company. It's called Heaven Incorporated. That's where you want to invest your money. Over here on this side of the street is Earth Incorporated. The security system is inadequate. People are constantly hacking into their computers. Their physical plant is aging, and in fact, the site has just recently been condemned. Don't invest in Earth Incorporated. Invest instead in Heaven Incorporated, where moths and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And so we come finally to the, th- the last resource that we have, and that's time. I want us to skip down in our verse of Scripture here, uh, chapter 6, and look at verse 33 with me. Verse 33 is one you may well know. It's a popular verse for us to quote. But I want to give us some context here this morning to understand it more deeply. Verse 33 says this, But... Now, remember, when we see the word but, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is he saying that? There must be something that he has just said that's important. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That is 
the essence of where Jesus is leading his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first, first things first, disciples. Be a good steward of the money that God has given to you, given you the ability to earn. But also be a good steward of the time that he has given you on this earth. You see, time is a resource just like money, but it's very different than money. Every person in this room has varying amounts of money, but not one person in this room has one more minute to spend each day than the other. We're all confined by the same amount of time. How much time do we use for investment into our own lives on this earth versus the time we invest into Him? You see, Jesus has confirmed that God is our provider in this passage. He will provide all of our needs. He's the one who will take care of us. And that's why he tells them not to worry. Because what spans these two passages that I just read is this passage, verses 25 to 32, where Jesus is saying, do not worry. Don't worry. God clothes the The grass of the field, he actually feeds the birds of the air. He is the one who will take care of you. The needs that you have, that is. Don't worry about this life because what he's really getting at is the more time you spend stewing over what you want, you're missing out on time that you could spend with him. You see, Jesus was very clear at calling out Martha for being all a busybody about the house, trying to get everything ready for Jesus. And he said to her, no, your sister Mary has chosen the better part because she's here at my feet, worshiping me. My question for all of us this morning is, what does your schedule and your screen time tell about your priorities with the Lord. You know, TV, how many of you turn on the TV and mindlessly flip through the channels to see if you can find something worth watching? You ever done that? Oh yeah, I'll do it. I'll flip over and I'll get to the movie A Few Good Men. It's about two-thirds of the way through. I, you know, I've seen it a million times. And so I'll watch it, and my wife is like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to watch this movie. It's two-thirds of the way. I said, you know what the first two-thirds are all about. Let's just keep going. (laughs) You know? Just a little peer in on our living room talk. But do you mindlessly flip through channels? Oh, I got a better one for you. How about you with a phone? Everybody have a phone? Nobody doesn't have a phone in here, right? You all have a phone. Boy, the phone, I, was, I grew up, the phone was supposed to be something that you punched in a couple of numbers and you talked to a person. Oh, that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, the phone is really just a device for our enjoyment, our entertainment, right? That's what it is. And how many of you scroll through social media after social media after social media? I do it all the time. I, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying that's time wasted. If you're there for hours and hours and hours, that's why I say your schedule and your screen time on your phone can tell a lot about your priorities. Here's my question to all of us, and it's to me as well. Are you a random reactor? Or are you a purposeful pursuer? 
Are you a random reactor? Are you just randomly reacting to everything that's happening around you? Or are you waking up each morning with a purpose? And you are, you are dead set on finding, seeking after, and finding where God is working. I think that's the heart of Jesus here when he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will take care of all the other stuff. You see, our money and our time are ours to steward. In 2024, here's my challenge. Let 2024 be a year where you can look back this next December and in your heart of hearts, you can say, Lord, I tried my very best each and every day to be a good steward of your resources. And I pray that that is your prayer. Prioritize your time. Prioritize your treasure, and God will receive the glory. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. It penetrates our hearts. It divides soul from spirit, bone from marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And Lord, as we have studied this passage of Jesus and the resources that you have bestowed upon us, both money and time, Lord, I pray that you will find us faithful in 2024 as we think about how to be good stewards of all of your many blessings. Now, Father, as we sing this song, Trust and Obey, I pray that you will help us to be trustworthy that you will find us obedient to your word and that you might be glorified in and through it. Lord, if there's any person in this room who really has never decided to follow Jesus Christ, to place their faith in him, I pray that they will respond during this hymn of invitation. And Lord, if there's anybody who wants to join this fellowship of faith called Ashley River Baptist Church and learn more about what it means to serve in this portion of the kingdom, I pray that they too will respond as we sing. We pray all of this, Father, in your name and for your sake. Amen and amen.